0: Please, can you remind me If your life you'll be so kind
1: Welcome to Alzheimer's Speaks Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, and we are so lucky to have with us Jennifer Fitzpatrick. She is amazing, and I am very lucky. I'm actually going to meet her physically in Montana at a conference we're both going to be at next week. And so uh, Jennifer has been with us before, and I'm thrilled to have her back again. But before I introduce her, I just want you to know a little bit about Alzheimer's Speaks because we're always getting new new audience uh, members and people joining our community. So bottom line, we're an advocacy-based company providing multiple platforms to shift our dementia care from crisis to comfort. It's all about working together and gathering gathering our strength and our knowledge and um, inspiring one another to do, to do better, to do more. You can always go to alzheimerspeaks.com and find out about our projects and our initiatives that we work on But I I really have to thank our audience because of your likes, your clicks, and your shares. You have, uh, you know, sent us way further than we we ever thought we would would be. And the collaboration has just really um, produced a lot of miracles and a lot of collaborations. And so I want to thank each and every one of you for that. If you'll continue to please like, click, and share, I can't thank you enough because you really are making a huge, huge difference. I want to give a shout out to Dementia Action Alliance because they are doing their second North American Dementia Conference this June, which will be the the 20th to the 22nd down in um, Weston Buckhead uh, Hotel in Atlanta, Georgia and they are all about reimagining dementia and really getting the voice of those with dementia um, heard and so it's a fabulous conference it's it's twisted a little bit different because you have um, so many people um, in the real voice of dementia talking to you not just us so-called experts out there which is fabulous they're also going to have um an an art uh, exhibit and uh, some information on different tech, which I think will be really interesting for people as well. And then the other shout out that I want to give is to a really cool concept. I I absolutely adore this. It's called the Megathon. And it was uh, started by a game called Stall Catchers, which is actually uh, an ability for us as individuals to analyze actual Um, data on Alzheimer's research. And you can go in, you can sign up anytime and do this. Some care partners are even saying it's almost like a meditation for them because they are so focused and they they don't let anything outside bother them. But on April 13th, they want to get 100,000 participants. And in one hour with 100,000 participants analyzing data, they'll be able to save a year in research time. So, for one hour of your time, no cost, it's just hooking up to the internet, um, you can have an amazing impact. And they will, they're going to have some speakers talk the half hour before. They will be giving you updates as data comes in, where it's going. And at the end, they will be analyzing it as well. And you can just go to megathon.us, that's megathon.us to get more information on that. And again, I, I'm very excited about this. I think this could change the way um, research is done and and just give people hope that they can participate and help push that along without necessarily having to dig into their pocketbook if they're not able to do that. So with that, let me introduce you to our guest today. Um, Like I said, she is a fabulous woman doing magnificent things, and her name is Jennifer Fitzpatrick. And she has a master's in social work. She is the author of a fabulous book called Cruising Through Caregiving. And it's about reducing the stress of caring for your loved one. And she was so generous when we went on our cruise in 2017. Um, She donated books for all of our participants there. Oh, Oh, she's correcting me. So let me
0: unmute you because... They were not donated by me. They were donated by Brightview Senior Living. You're correct. As soon as I said that, it was. And I have a great story about how that came full circle.
1: Okay. Um, Well, feel free to go ahead and tell that right now, and I'll finish your
0: introduction. So, so when Lori did her last cruise for Dementia Cruise. Uh, I reached out and I said, you know, I have this book, Cruising Through Caregiving, and I said, let me, I bet I could find a sponsor, and so Brightview Senior Living, who offers assisted living, independent living, and also memory care, uh, primarily on the East Coast, they donated 100 books for all the participants on the cruise, and here's the full circle story. I was speaking at a Brightview Senior Living community in Massachusetts about Nine months later, after your cruise, and a woman comes up to me, and she says, I found out about Brightview from Lori LeBay's cruise, and Lori LeBay's cruise was amazing, the content was amazing, we had such a great time, my husband and I, it was awesome, but she said, you know, I also listen to Lori's podcast, I got this book, and then I wound up visiting the Brightview that's close to my home, and then moved in, so Brightview was happy, the crews were crew happy, and of course, it's a great it's a story of partnership.
1: Yeah, it it really was, and they are so thrilled to be there. I mean, I still talk with them every now and then, and they're just so, so happy there, yeah. Yeah, so wonderful. Well, thank you. Thank you for writing the book and for Brightview for for donating those and and sponsoring that for the cruise. It was amazing, amazing opportunity. Now, to tell you a little bit more about Jennifer is she is a gerontology instructor at John Hopkins University. She is less than 800 certified speaking professionals, which is known as CSP, and, and that is worldwide. Uh, And I know about this because of the National Speakers Association. This is a really hard thing to come by. And she has achieved that. And so kudos to you. That is a a ton of work, and you're making a huge, huge difference. She has also been featured on um, HLN, ABC, CBS, um, Cyrus, um, Redbook, Forbes, um, U.S. News, and World Report, just to name a few because she really has wonderful insights when it comes to giving care uh, to one another. And so again, just so excited to have you with us today, Jennifer, thank you. Um, Before we get started um, in my line of questions, I always like to ask every guest if they have been personally touched by family or friends with dementia, just to give our audience some background on you personally.
0: Yeah, great great grandfather. I had I was not a caregiver. I was a child when he had dementia, but um I haven't been a direct caregiver to somebody with with dementia, but have been a caregiver several times over but not for dementia. Okay,
1: wonderful. Now, you have formulated a new partnership with hilarity for charity. And the Oasis Senior Advisors. And so I want, I want to hear about that. And I want our audience to hear about this. It
0: sounds really I'm so excited about it. I'm so excited about it. So Hilarity for Charity, uh, some of your um, viewers and listeners might already be familiar with them. They're this amazing charity who actually raises money at, mostly through working with colleges. And they were founded by the actor Seth Rogen. And his wife, who is a screenwriter, Lauren Miller Rogan, and they put this charity together several years ago because her mom was diagnosed with young onset Alzheimer's in her fifties. And I have heard them speak about what they've been through, and they've talked about how fortunate they were that they could afford what they needed for her, and they realized that they were in a very fortunate position. So they decided that they were going to try to help people that maybe weren't in such a a fortunate position and what they do with all the money that they raise. And again, most of their fundraising is through young people through colleges and which I think is really neat because it's getting awareness to younger generations. But what they do is they actually provide respite grants for home care and so right now, the two types of grants that they have available, one is 24 hours a week for for six months. Wow. Other is for a one-time 50 hours, and I believe it has to be used, I think, in a 90-day period. So right now, there's two types that you can apply for. I believe they're looking at possibly shifting and changing the way that you apply, but I'm not saying that that's you know, going to help you for the rest of your life. But as a caregiver, 24 hours a week for six months, that is a huge help. If you're taking care of a mom or a spouse or somebody you love who has dementia. So it's in the United States and Canada. And so you can apply. Uh, and you basically have to tell your story and you go to hilarity for org to apply, to get one of the grants and the great thing about the partnership that we've developed over the course of actually believe it or not we've been working on this for about a year that the team at Hilarity for Charity uh, what we decided is we found a partner in Oasis senior advisors and Oasis senior advisors helps people who for completely for free of charge it helps families find placement if their loved one needs senior living but also If they need home care, if they need an elder law attorney, they'll give them referrals. So Oasis Senior Advisor, Clarity for Charity, and and me, Jennifer um, Generations, and my book, Cruising Through Caregiving, are partnering. And what we're doing is Oasis Senior Advisors is buying a copy of Cruising Through Caregiving for all the grant recipients They receive a grant from Hilarity for Charity during 2019. So it's about, it'll be about 250 families overall. So that's about how many people they're able to serve each year. So that's just for the grant recipients. So Oasis Senior Advisors is is providing uh, copies of the book to the families that are recipients of the grant. But for the general public, anybody and everybody who is a caregiver for a loved one who has dementia we are opening up a virtual book club for dementia caregivers. And so it's a partnership between myself, uh, Hilarity for Charity, and underwritten by Oasis Senior Advisors.
1: I love that. I lo- well, now I'm lucky for them to get a copy of your book. I, I still get comments about your book. You know, um, people just really see it as a resource, and they've passed it on to other people and said, "You know, you need to you need to read this book." And then to be able to have that that book club, you know, where people can actually talk and and get more answers and hear from yourself and others, um, that's a powerful thing. And I love that you're using the internet to to connect in that way. I I, I just think why not? You know, why not? We can pull people together from all over and help them feel a little bit more grounded and part of the big picture. Um, I I think that alleviates a lot of the the
0: isolation there. So kudos to you. So it's going to be 15 weeks. It's going to start May 15th, 2019. And it will be at 4 p.m. Eastern time for every Wednesday for 15 weeks in a row. And people can register just by going to cruisingthroughcaregiving.com and you see the schedule. So what it is, is there's 15 chapters in Cruising Through Caregiving. And so each week, so Cruising Through Caregiving is actually a caregiving book, but it's not just for dementia caregivers. It's for a caregiver of any sort. You can be taking care of a special needs child, somebody who has cancer, heart disease, whatever. But a lot of people who have taken care of a one with dementia will utilize it. So, but we're going to do the book club, the virtual book club from the slant, the angle of only dementia. So for example, um, we're having one week, and I believe you've had her on as a guest, um, the week we're doing career and work and caregiving, we're having Amy Goyer um, from AARP come in. And she's going to do, she's going to help me moderate and and do that segment. So we're going to have some special guests on. I'm um, trying to get Lori to be one of my special guests from one of the. We'll see. Hopefully her schedule will allow for that. But we're having guests on. And what we're going to do is talk about a different way you can reduce stress as a dementia caregiver each week. But as you know, dementia caregivers are so busy and exhausted. If you can't participate live, we will email you the recording. Much like with your podcast, people can participate later. They don't have to. It would be great if they're on live, but if they can't, they can't. And we'll send it to you. And Lori, I'm so excited to say we just announced this two weeks ago, and we have 100 people registered for the virtual book club already from the US and Canada. And we can take as many people as want to join us. Oh, that's
1: fantastic. Do you have a a flyer set up on it or a graphic or something? You can, (laughs) you know, if you want to send me something, I'll push it out on the blog if you want to do an article and stuff. Yeah. I would, I would love to. I, yeah. I mean, I just think it's so important for us to support one another with these great ideas that everybody has, has because people don't know how to connect. Um, one of the other things uh, that I'll just give a plug for is a company called Care to Plan. They're doing a dimension um, resource directory. And they, I've talked them into adding a calendar in there now of events that people can put in. so... It, it has things like resources and books and videos and podcasts and all of those types of things, but it also has housing and doctors and clinics, and it's just um, starting to, to um, launch off the ground, and that would be a fantastic place for you to be positioned and Hilarity for Charity and Senior Oasis because um, it's, it's, just, it's something that's very inexpensive, and it pushes the people directly to you, And then you can have the directory on your own website as well. So it's not like it just has to, you know, they have to go to a a, a resource directory. Everybody can kind of customize and and, um, make it their own. You'll be able to do geo searches and stuff. They're waiting for that last upload. So it's pretty cool. But that would, I think, even raise more awareness of what you're doing and, you know, one of the things I like about that too is we want to get it into the, the doctors and the clinics so people can start, it'll educate the doctors and the clinicians as well as the families from the get go and then be this ongoing support because families aren't getting that support and they need to know how to hook up to people like you.
0: One of the things that's about even like just having this conversation with you is we both work in this space. I didn't know about that. And it's it's amazing, like you'll talk to somebody that that works in this and you think, you, you know, you get to the point, you think, oh, of course, we all know the same resources. There's so many resources that we don't even, so it's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that with me. And I'm sure your listeners are going to really appreciate knowing about that too.
1: Yeah, we haven't formally um, pushed it out big time because they were just doing some, they went off um, beta testing and, but now they're doing another big upgrade and stuff. And it's, you know, it's something that I dreamed about. 35 years ago when my mom first got this it's like there's got to be more out here that I don't know about and there's just no easy way to find it and this will make it much much easier not only for families and and you know medical professionals but for people like us you know to find these resources that are out there too because they're they're vast and they're many, and I think part of it is training people to understand that everything doesn't have to be in your backyard anymore. Great resources that are overseas or via the Internet and, and learn wonderful things and, and build great relationships with people. And, so, and that's a big shift for people to understand. I think more so for what, I, what I've seen is it's more so in a lot of ways for academics and the medical professionals because they're so used to back backyard services and, and and physical communities and families are just they're dying for this stuff, literally. I mean they they need to they need to know about your book club. They need to know about Hilarity for Charity. They need to know about, you know, OASIS Senior Advisors. And and there's gotta be a way to, to be able to deliver that sooner. So I, I would love to be able to help push that out. Thank you. Now why don't you tell people a little bit about your personal philosophy uh, about caregivers and and how do they how can they reduce some stress in their journey when they're dealing with dementia? You know, what are what are some first steps that they can take?
0: Well, first thing is I think most of the time when somebody is caregiving for a loved one with dementia, they're killing themselves and they don't realize it. They are they're putting 150% in and there's probably not an end in sight. And what I try to, to say to folks, uh, it doesn't have to be that way. You can take really good care of your loved one, but there, if you want to, you can reduce your stress level if you want to, but you have to want to. And that's
1: really the key. So let's say I want to, then what do I do? Okay, because wanting isn't going to just, there's not a magic wand that goes, oh, okay, you're happy now. <laughs>
0: So what? So I I gave a presentation just earlier today, and we started at the conversation of okay, on a scale of zero to one hundred, so zero being you're you have no stress in your life, and really that would really only be if you're on some really really powerful drugs, right? Like that's probably not many of them. Um, and then on the other hand, are you at a hundred where you can't take another moment? or incident or situation of stress because you feel like you're going to collapse. So start by looking at where would you put yourself today? Would you say you're, you're? You, most people are going to laugh, and of course you're not at a zero, but are you at a 10, are you at a 20, or are you at a 90, or a 100, or hey, I've heard people say, Jen, I'm not at 100, I'm at 150. That's how bad I feel. So look at where you are today, and then I want everyone to consider What can you do to start incrementally reducing your stress? And the reason that I wrote Cruising Through Caregiving is because of all my experience, I saw people literally killing themselves, having impact physically, mental health-wise, and it wasn't good for them, and it wasn't good for their loved one. I think that's what gets lost for a lot of people, is when you're taking care of your loved one and you're killing yourself, it's not good for your, your mom or your husband or who, whoever it is. It's not good for them either. So every chapter you're Cruising Through Caregiving is a different way that you can begin to consider, how do I reduce my stress? And you, the example you gave a few moments ago was spot on about the physician, a physician office a lot of times, the we think the physician is—you know—you said oh, they kind of expect everything to, you know, if they don't, if it's not in their backyard, they maybe didn't hear of it, which makes sense because they're busy diagnosing and treating. They're not maybe going to be an expert on community resources. So, what one chapter is called, "The Doctor Doesn't Know Everything," and that's not a knock on doctors. The doctor's not supposed to know everything. Yep. the doctor's supposed to know, okay, here's how I diagnose, here's what might help you with your pain, but maybe people like you and I, or the Alzheimer's Association, or, you know, an Oasis Senior Advisors, or... You know, Brightview Senior Living. Like those folks are out there for a reason. So your local area agency on aging. And if people don't know how to find theirs, every county or city in the country has an area agency on aging. And as a Nancy for the number four A dot org, N four A dot org. Put your zip code in, and that's a place where you can go just to get some basic information about what's around, what what's free, what costs what. Uh, What services are out there for me as a caregiver?
1: Yeah, and and that is so huge. I think part of it is that, you know, reducing stress. I know for me, I I wanted to do the best I could for my mom. And so I didn't take anything off my list. I just added more, which I think is really common for people, and um, especially women my age, and I'm going to be 60 here this summer, and we were brought up to always say yes. You know, you just always do. That's your role, you know, and, and you take care of the family and you take care of friends. And, and so it, the, the weight just kept getting heavier, even though it was stuff I wanted to do. I didn't realize how much of a toll it was taking until I, um, I had these wonderful girlfriends that wouldn't give up on me. And they would invite me to coffee every week, and I would say no. And I would say, no, no, I can't. I'm too busy. I can't, you know, I'm, I'm a mom, I'm married, I'm working full time, I'm volunteering, I have extra people living at my house, I'm taking care of my mom and my dad, I just, you know, it was just all of that, that stuff. And then one day, I had a really bad, bad morning with with um, something had to do with my mom, I don't even remember what. And, and I was just, I was feeling so deflated and so exhausted. And my girlfriends called and said, hey, we're getting together for coffee. Can you make it? And and I'll never forget my attitude because it was really snippy with them. And I just said, "Um, I can give you 10 minutes. Like I'm the queen coming to town. (laughs) And and the only reason I said that was because I wanted them off my back because they were another thing picking at me that I was supposed to do. And I didn't want to do it. But I was like, "I'll, I'll, I'll come if you leave me alone. I mean, that was really kind of that kind of attitude. And I went and I had coffee and we laughed and we cried together for two hours. And I, that was the moment for me when I realized how empty I was. And I didn't know that I was empty until I got filled. And, and I forgot how to fill myself because I was too busy taking care of everyone else. So from that week forward, I met with my girlfriends every week for two hours because they filled me up and you know when you're giving care so often just like the word says caregiver it it, you know it it breeds into us that we're giving everything away and we get really task oriented I know I did and we don't um we forget about the core of our relationship we forget sometimes about just sitting still and saying nothing and just feeling safe and comfortable you know, those little things, those are the things that fill our souls. And I think it's important for us to understand that and realize that in, in this fast paced world, I don't think we talk about it enough. I don't think we do it enough. And and so I think that's why your book is so important, making people realize the different ways we can find balance, you know, and for each person, just like with dementia, every person with dementia is different. Every care partner is different. And our needs are different and, you know, timing is different and and that's okay. And we, as a society, we have to not judge that, I think, and we have, but we have to help support that and allow people, you know, because as a care partner, I'm sure you hear this all the time. Well, that would be selfish. You know, if I took time for a massage, you know, that would, you know, that really isn't fair with everything else going on in the world. Why should I stop for a minute? But we have to, because like you said in the beginning, we cannot care well for someone else if we're not caring well for ourselves, and we and we forget that.
0: I think a lot of it has to do with getting to the point where, which I don't think most people do at first, is where's your boundary? What are your boundaries going to be? And I, I remember when my family was taking care of my grandma when she was sick and she didn't have dementia. She had congestive heart failure, but she had a lot of issues. And I, um, I lived a couple, you know, two hours away and most of my family was in the Philly area. I'm in Maryland. And, uh, we, I was, I was, everybody was taking turns sleeping over there. And it was in that period of time where we were adjusting to the new normal. She was really having challenges And so it was my aunts and my uncles and my dad and my cousin and my brother and me. I wasn't doing as much as they were because I wasn't local, but I did some of it. And one morning my dad called me and he was in his sixties at the time. And he says, sounded like a little boy. And he says, Jennifer, I'm not sleeping over there anymore. He's like, I'm I'm tired of sleeping on that couch. He sounded like a little kid, like asking my permission. And I said, "Dad, you don't have to." And when my dad said that to his sisters and to my grandmother, even it was a boundary got set. You know, he's he'll do other things. He'll go. To, he'll take her to the doctor. He'll pick up her prescriptions. He'll he will visit. But he says, "I'm I'm not sleeping here anymore." And when that started, when he set that boundary. Everyone else started thinking about their boundaries. What are they, you know, one, one member of the family is, you know, I I need to be sleeping in my own bed because I got to get up for work the next morning, or I can't keep taking off, or I'm starting to have some of my own health issues. So we're they started thinking about their boundaries, and then it led our family to the conversation. What's the next step? And the next step was we really needed home care. And we had, because my grandmother did not have dementia, we were able to have a rational, reasonable conversation with her that we were able to, you know, she could follow along with it, but she could give her input. And then to the conversation about senior living, but until my dad hit a limit and said, I'm setting a boundary. And he didn't think of it that way, but it was like, he sounded like, a, and I said, he was almost looking for permission from me.
1: Yeah. Oh, I can see that. And the beautiful part about that is it, even though he got pushed to his limit, you know, and it was like, ah, you know, he, he led by example. And leading by example is so powerful. And we, I think we forget about our power of one and what that can do to dynamics of not only a family, but community, our workspace, our friends, all of that. And we, uh, I think a lot of us have grown up not, not being talked. You know, boundaries weren't talked about so much. You know, somebody asked you do. And I, I know, I hit that wall myself, and um, had written a story called. Um, oh, I'm trying to think what it was, but I, I mean, I actually went home one night, and I was so exhausted. I looked in the mirror, and I couldn't see my face. Oh. I was just, and I and I started hearing voices saying, "Lori, you have to stop." And some people will say you had a nervous breakdown. I say it was an epiphany. I woke up in the morning and I was very clear the difference between giving care and enabling situations. And and then I came up with all these questions that I asked myself, which was kind of frightening. To, to, you know, no matter who was asking me what, if it was babysit a grandchild, if it was to, you know, volunteer, if it was caring for somebody, I started asking myself these questions. And it was shocking what my answers were and what was motivating. Me. You know, was I doing this because I wanted to or because I was feeling pressured to? Was I doing this out of, out of guilt or um, worried about I was going to be judged if I didn't? Those are not reasons to be doing stuff, and it is shocking how often we do stuff for those reasons because, again, we're not having these conversations, and the power of your your book club is really going to help people wash through that and go, oh, yeah, that's not healthy, And, and saying no is okay, you know, as long as I'm not hurting anybody else, but I can't help everyone else and not help myself. I mean, that makes absolutely, when we say that it makes absolutely no sense, but we do it all the time.
0: You brought up that back, you know, when you were growing up, people didn't think about boundaries. And I know that I, I probably feel the same way, but I think it's interesting. I think that there's also the male female dynamic that I thought it was interesting that my dad was the first one that broke and said enough you know, I think sometimes men can be a little bit more comfortable saying, you know what, I hit my limit. Um, sometimes at work, maybe they have said, okay, I've, you know, I think a lot of times women in the workplace, sometimes are, they feel like they have to say yes, they want to get ahead or they want to be the good daughter, the good wife. And so there could be some of that going on for, you know, a lot of, you know, most dementia caregivers uh, or care partners are, are female. And, you know, the expectation for so many generations is the ladies do it.
1: Yeah, that's that's very true. Although I have to give my dad kudos because my mom had dementia. My dad was one of those guys that literally couldn't boil water in a pan. And he started shopping and doing the laundry and making the meals. And I remember having a conversation with him one time on, how are you doing? And he's like, this is the least I could do. She has raised all all of, you know, she's raised our family. She's kept us together. And he was kind of the bring home the bacon and do the outdoor stuff. You know, that was kind of how it was divided in my family. And he just said, this is the least I can do, you know. And it was like, oh, you know, and not everybody can do that or will do that. But it was amazing to see his shift. And he really, for I would say 99% of the time, felt it was an honor to do that. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's really beautiful. And, and I know for myself, I, I felt it was an honor to care for my mom, too. That And again, I, part of it is is shifting that perception of I'm not giving everything away, but we're still in a relationship. There are still things to, to receive. But so often when we're so busy with our checklists and feeling empowered when we check something off, you know, it makes us feel good. We, we forget about all the subtleties, I think, of the relationship. And we, we take on that role and we, we give up our relationships sometimes. And and again, having these conversations like you'll have in your book club about those are the core reasons you're there is your relationship. So don't hand that over, you know, and, and you'll find that, that there are so many, you know, those little moments like with my mom when... I, I can still, and she's been gone five years now, but I can still hear her giggle. I can still see her glint in her eye or her smile or her dimples. It's, you know, or or feel her touch of her hand just reach out to me or just sitting on the couch next to her saying nothing. Those are the moments that are the most moving and the most um, powerful for me to remember. It's not the big fancy stuff. It's those little it's those little things that you have to pay attention that I think increases your connection. And um, they're just beautiful moments. And I, and I think often when we're caring for somebody, we're not tallying those things. We're tallying the things we've done. And so, you know, looking for those, those great moments of joy, no matter how simple they are, but just acknowledging that they exist in terms of, finding balance again in my life
0: i think that that's so often something that gets pointed out to a lot of people when they go to a support group they hear someone else tell a story like that that or listening to your podcast or seeing a therapist you know that those sorts of things come to light because i think so often in the moment if you're not if you're so harried and you're so busy and you're so focused like you said on the task You're not even really able to see those, those moments for what they are. And I think that that's one of the reasons we need boundaries because when you don't have boundaries, like you said, you're giving, 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 and you start, your attitude shifts. A lot of people feel angry. A lot of people feel lonely or isolated or depressed. I mean, everyone has a different reaction when they're giving too much it's good to give, but if you, if you're not able to give back to yourself, then most of the time you're going to have some negative feeling.
1: That's very true. And it's almost like, um, I think a lot of people would, would say that they're feeling abused in the situation. Though someone's got to do it, you know, and, and I'll, you know, I will say I had two brothers, older one and younger one, and they weren't able to give in the way that I was and and into care and we had a great conversation after my dad died because I was sharing stories about mom and I remember them saying well where'd you get all those stories and I remember thinking well I I was there I mean I didn't make these up these things happened, and they were and, and then my heart got so sad because they didn't have all these great stories and all these great moments that I had. And so then we dug a little bit deeper about, you know, why didn't they come around? And and that was a really great conversation that I think most families don't have either. And they mm-hmm. viewed me as a control freak. And I viewed myself as very organized. Thank you. <laughs> and so we, had, we, we, were, we were like, this is our part. And then we dug a little bit deeper on all that, and I said, you know, I will I will take some responsibility because I wanted to fix them too. So when I was caring for my mom, I wanted to fix them. I wanted them to be like me. I wanted them to see things like me. And, and then, um, you know, you, you hit this wall and going, oh my God, how boring would that be if everyone was like me? You know, I, I wouldn't want to be stuck with me 24 seven either. You know, we we all give in different ways. And I think sometimes with families, (laughs) I know in mine, we, you know, my brothers stayed away because they felt they couldn't meet my expectation. And they didn't want to be judged by me. They never told me that. We never had that conversation. And And I have to be honest that even after we did, they still didn't come around to see my mom more. But it made me, it was a healthy conversation for me, because it made me realize what my role was and my impact. Because when you are not saying no, and you're pushing through, pushing through, pushing through, you're like this bulldozer, and you really don't even know the effect you're having on others. Because you're just, you've just got this tunnel vision of what, what needs to be done. And you're not, you're not seeing big picture effect. And and so, you know, those boundaries are helpful and those conversations are great to be had because even if you still can't change somebody you'd like to see changed, you can change yourself, you know, and, and we know that's the only person we really can change. Um, but what we can do is we can lead by example better.
0: Healthy that you are even able to receive that information mm-hmm. because that's very rare that, you know, I've worked with so many caregivers that, especially if they were still caregiving, I don't know that they could hear that. So that's really very, very healthy. And it's what a great relationship you must have that your brothers and you could have that candid of a conversation.
1: Yeah. And it was really because my dad died. And then I said, you know, I'm, and I still want to write this book. I have so many great stories to tell. Um, but that leads me to another um, kind of story where I, I remember sharing some of my stories with colleagues in the business and a couple of them at different times have literally stopped me and said, you are so lucky that your mom has dementia and that your dad had brain cancer. And I, and I'm like, oh, okay, you know, and then I said, uh, please explain. And they said, you have, you have, such a beautiful relationship with both of them. And you have all these fabulous loving stories with, with life lessons that this process has taught you. And, and all three of these, these women said to me, my parents are healthy and we're not that close. Yeah. They don't need me. And they were actually, they use the word jealous. I'm jealous of the relationship you have. So there are great gifts wrapped on this journey if we, if we slow down to recognize, you know, that the closeness is something that is, is important and many people miss out on. And it, and it, could, be, it could be long distance. It could be because you just don't have time. I mean, it affects people in all different angles of life. Um, needless to say, but again, becoming more conscious of how we interact and when we interact or when we choose not to, like you said, with those boundaries, critical conversations and, and critical um, introspect, I think, you know, that we should all do a little bit more. I, I wish this stuff was taught in
0: schools. I mean, it's 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 like right. It's like uh, you know, we used to say they don't teach you how to write a check in a school, but you know, Venmo now. Uh, but but you know, it's it is that I think also the Lori the, the caregiving. There's a lot of people that I don't know how much having a class would really help because I think a lot of people they either have the instinct. I think you can cultivate. The instinct a little bit, but I think some of us have it more, you know, more, it comes more naturally. I think, like, like one example I always give is if someone like broke my microwave and said, Can you put it back together? I'd, I'd be like, No, I can't. I don't know how to do that. I don't know the first thing to do. And I believe that really are people with caregiving that that's how they feel that I don't know what to do and they're scared. And so I think for a lot of us who have been primary caregivers, we have to think about what can they do to contribute maybe it's not going to be taking mom to the doctor maybe it's not going to be helping her in the bathroom but what ways can they contribute financially can they what can they do can they do research can they you know do screening of senior living or home care agencies or elder law attorneys how can folks that maybe are just not going to take to it what can they do to help
1: Yeah, I I think that's a really good point. I think another one is a lot of times when people need um, personal care, all of a sudden a daughter or son is bathing their mom or their dad and that can be really uncomfortable and people don't say anything because it has to be done and yet we have to talk about what are our skills and what are our comfort levels because that is going to impact how we're caring for them. If, If we are uncomfortable or angry or resentful, that's going to come across to the person we're caring for. Yes. So making sure that there's a match. And like you said, maybe hiring somebody, you know, out or maybe going to an adult day where they can do their showering there. I mean, there's lots of different options for people. Or there's a the story of the the little lady who, would go to church and every Sunday, her friends would say, what could I do to help you? And she, oh, I have have it under control. I have it under control. And one day her best friend pulled her aside and grabbed her her arm and said, you don't have it under control. And she handed her a, a stack of note cards. And she says, you go home today and you write down everything you could have people help you with because you are not in control. And you tell me that all the time, but you don't tell people who are asking, you know, to help you. And so she went home and she started writing down things on her note cards, and she put them in her purse, and they went to church the next Sunday. And somebody asked if she could help, and she just reached into her purse. She had no idea what she was pulling out. She just gave them a note card. And it was life-changing for both of them because you know, now she's allowing someone to come in and help. She's getting a little bit of that respite. But she's also allowing that person who wants to care to be able to do something good. And we all know what it feels like to volunteer our time and to to help somebody else out. And when we do this, we're not allowing other people to feel that and to be part of that. And and so when we look at that, I, I think, again, that's a conversation. That's a, you know, just something that we have to talk about because we we don't typically look at it like that you know we're we're trying to be private we're you know it's all about us and but we all affect one another and those are
0: conversations
1: that are so critical
0: yeah my best friend is uh she just got her first baby believe it or not we're the same age and when she got pregnant so she you know got pregnant and when uh You know, I came to the time where, you know, you throw a shower and I said, I'm going to take care of it. I'm going to throw the shower. I I found the place and I started getting calls and texts from our mutual friends and members of her family. What can I do? What can I do? And my instinct was, oh, I have it. It's I'm going to do it. But then I I realized that that's not fair, actually, to the other people that want to celebrate And so I realized, thought about like, what am I bad at? So I'm terrible with decorations, like really not good. Not, I don't have a crafty bone in my body. And so one of our friends is really good. She's on Pinterest all the time. So I said, do you want to do the decorations? And then my girlfriend's sister-in-law said, well, what still needs to be done? And I didn't know a, a good bakery near where we were having the event. And she says, I said, can you do the cake? Yes. So it wasn't. It really did take a lot off my plate, but also I know it gave not only them joy, but it gave my friend who had the baby made her feel more loved because more people were doing these beautiful things for her. If you imagine how how funny I was about being protective of a baby shower, you know it's it's like think about when it's your parent or your spouse. People are protective. We think, oh, don't worry about it. But it really is good for your spouse who's ill, your parent who's ill. They see all this other love.
1: That is so true. And, and we don't realize we're blocking that out. So, yeah, that's a really, really good point. Now, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about millennials and Generation Z as um, dementia caregivers. What, what is different about them and how they're going to approach this whole journey?
0: Well, one of the things that I am so in awe about working with Hilarity for Charity is because, um, the Rogans are millennials themselves and they are, they have 25% of millennials, right? I'm sorry, 25% of caregivers are millennials. So of all the caregivers who are helping a loved one, not dementia, but any kind of caregiving, is is a millennial and that's that's significant that's significant that's people in their 20s and 30s who are starting out in their careers that they're starting families maybe purchasing a first home trying to become more uh financially capable and when we think about the time commitment for example a lot of us you know being middle-aged my husband and i are in our 40s and you know when his dad was ill or when my grandma was ill, you know, we were at a point where we could take time and we had established a a good amount in our career where we could take time. And I think for a lot of millennials, those can be tough conversations with bosses if they're on a career path. So uh, fortunately, I think some organizations are becoming more aware, but I think millennials and Gen Z get a bad rap. Uh, A lot of times they, you know, there's a lot of stereotypes about them, but They care just as much about their older loved ones as anybody does. And they are invested and they are trying. And so one of the things that I think is really important is that, you know, for employers and for, you know, for all of us is to just remember that this is happening. You know, people, a lot of times um, millennials and Gen Z, their parents are older. Think about my girlfriend that just had her baby. Her if if her, she ever needs care, her child's going to be on the younger side if she ever needs care. So just to keep in mind that they have challenges that maybe people in their 40s, 50s, 60s maybe don't have different kinds of challenges as caregivers.
1: That is that's a, a really important factor, and I, I think all generations. You know, we need to start having these conversations of how we care in our school, starting in kindergarten. You know, and going through because I know when I went into even junior high and high school, I was shocked at the number of kids that are caring for somebody when they get home from school. It's unbelievable. And there's, you know, there's not a support group for them at school. They've got X, Y, and Z, you know, support groups all over, but there's not one for them, nor could they stay because they have to get home. And so, you know, we need to be reaching out. We need to be... Um, we need to be more understanding and more resourceful so that people aren't feeling isolated and that they, they know they're not the only ones, you know, it's always, I think it's easier when you think you're not alone, you know, that someone else is walking that path with you.
0: Well, being isolated, I actually just did a presentation last week on isolation for a hospital and it is one of the worst things for our health is feeling isolated for our physical health our mental health, as well as our cognitive health. So you're absolutely right about about that. When you feel like you're connected, that others have experienced these thoughts and feelings and the situation that you're experiencing, it's good for your physical and mental health. Uh, I just wanted to mention um, caring.com, when you mentioned younger people, I actually, uh, they're about to announce their winners. They're doing a scholarship for college students who are Interested in pursuing some sort of career with caregiving and giving back. And so they have these scholarship programs, Caring.com. And I was a judge and I had to read 25 essays and or video essays. And Lori, it's some of them were older students, you know, returning students. But most of them were the traditional age, 17, 18 to 22 ish. That was, it. being a judge, they haven't announced the winners yet, but being a judge for this contest, just every, every essay just broke your heart because, you know, parents with traumatic brain injuries, parents that have gotten young onset Alzheimer's, or they live with a grandparent who has young, or uh, traditional age dementia, or, I, I mean, so, so many young people that this, and the stories were so detailed, and the amount of, of, of labor that they're doing, like outside of their studies and maybe even holding a part-time job at the same time. I, I think we, it, the Gen Z and the millennials get a bad rap. It, there's pros and cons to every generation. They're just, you know, every generation's just different and we should all stop picking on each other. That,
1: that's a good point. That's a good point. We need to be more supportive and more collaborative and um, realize we're much more similar than we are different. And in terms of growing, plus, you know, with that generation, they are like any generation people, I think it's their nature to want to help to improve. And so they have some great ideas in terms of technology and things that they're doing as well. I mean, because they're, they're coming at it from a different perspective and, that's and that's a huge added value, you know, if we would get out of our own ways and accept that we you know, we can learn from everybody. And um, just having these respectful conversations. Um, last confer- or last uh, question I want to ask, because I want to be respectful of your time, is how can dementia caregivers help protect their loved ones from financial exploitation? Because I know that's a huge thing that's going on and has been going on for quite a while.
0: So for one, I think one big one is, If your loved one has a investment account or they work with a financial professional before they have dementia, and I know this is some for some families uh, too late because maybe their loved one already has a diagnosis, get them to put somebody's name on their account that they trust as a trusted contact person. FINRA who regulates stockbrokers and financial professionals um, in February, 2018 uh, about you know a little over a year ago they enacted that if they are worried about you being you know say you show up at their office one day and say oh this is my new boyfriend i met him online last week and we're moving to tahiti and you want to liquidate your account prior to february of 2018 the financial professional was supposed to do what you said now if they're concerned that you're being exploited or that you have a cognitive issue if they're seeing some signs They have two options. They can either account or they can contact your trusted contact person. So before, so I think all of us, we, we owe it to ourselves and our loved ones. If you have funds, if you have accounts, make sure you have someone you truly trust. That's that's that person, just like you have a healthcare power of attorney. If you can't make decisions and, but, but for as far as financial exploitation, that's helpful the other one that is, is very uh, – this isn't foolproof, but I've talked to countless people who have hired home care aides in the home, hiring someone that they know from the neighborhood or a or friend of a friend or Craigslist or something, and I think you've lessened risk for, for that exploitation if you go through a reputable agency and if you go to HCAOA.org, so the Home Care Association of America, so they, they have organizations that are licensed and bonded, they criminal background check. It's not perfect, right? It's not, there's a bad apple can get in, but I think it's going to lessen than if you just hire somebody that you hear needs a part-time job to take care of your loved one. I think the tempting thing for a lot of families is, oh, this person's going to charge us $10 an hour, whereas this agency is going to charge us more. There may be a reason for that. So those are just a couple tips for avoiding some financial exploitation.
1: Yeah, I, I'm so glad that um, the financial advisors are starting to ask for that contact information because that's something I know I talked with them years ago about. We did a um, oh, like a seven tour uh, thing with one company, and it was interesting because some Some financial planners were really comfortable with that and saw the need and others, like in any industry, said that's not my job. I'm not a counselor, you know, because how do you how do you have that conversation? How do you approach it? But, you know, it it needs to be in place, um, especially nowadays with with all the fraud and and spamming that's going on. It's just it's so it's so critical. Um, So that's wonderful to hear. And I know the robo calls can be a, a huge issue for people as well. And people can get, you know, locked into that. And they're coming out with some technology that's supposed to stop that. Um, I had a friend whose who's, um, dad was, a, a, you know, a businessman all his life. And so he would trade stocks all the time. And, you know, they had to shut down his accounts because he was, you know, had dementia. he was moving all this money around. And so they got that under control. Well, then he started... Um, you know, buying stuff online, and they were getting all these packages and stuff, and then they they had to weed down the credit cards, and they had to keep limiting things as as things happened, and, you know, and, and he was very, um, very smart, and all of a sudden, he disappeared, and he took an Uber, you know, and he would have, <laughs> and he was just gone, and so there's so many different fashions that we have to Look out for and, and everybody is going to you know have different symptoms and different different ways that we're going to need to protect them. So don't think that everything's always going to happen to your your loved one or the one you're caring for and and having the the professional um, entity there I, I think is wonderful versus sometimes just the friends because sometimes the friends um, can have alternatives you know oh. a friend of a friend. Or they don't actually know the disease and the rules and and um, maybe they didn't mean to do it and other times you know it just happens someone well we're going to help this person out because they're struggling financially well that person then might find themselves in a position that they can't they can't ignore and you know money is is available or things are available and you know they would not normally do that but they're in a bind and all of a sudden they do and you know, and and then it's a nasty, nasty thing for for everybody. So thank you so much for taking the time today. I just am so thrilled that you uh, that we were able to spend this time and that I get to meet you on Sundays and Monday too. Thank you. Well,
0: one last thing, I just want to congratulate you on, and I know this is probably old news for you, but I just want to tell your listeners how delighted I was about a year, a little over a year ago. I had my Oprah magazine, which I religiously get every month. I think it was the December issue. And I was sitting and, and, and reading it. And whose face is inside the magazine? But Lori LeVay. And I was just, it was almost like, ah, I was so excited. So one of Oprah's health heroes, is that it? it? Yep. Love yeah. it. I'm so proud of you. I think it's so amazing. And I love telling people that I know you, Lori.
1: Oh, well, thank you. I feel the same way about you. You're doing just marvelous, marvelous work. And please send me that information on the, the virtual book club and stuff and we'll get that out. And I want to help raise your voice any way that I can because you're doing great, great work. And again, don't forget, get out there and purchase your book, Cruising Through Caregiving with Jennifer Fitzpatrick. You will not um we will not be disappointed at all And
0: registering for the book club is cruising through caregiving.com if you would like to register for the virtual book club and just if you are on a budget please know that the uh, cruising through caregiving is in most libraries so if you're on a budget and it's out of reach to purchase a book of course as I'd love for you to buy it but if you would like to borrow it from the library but also I just want to mention if you're not a reader if you're not somebody that likes to read, you don't need to read Cruising Through Caregiving to get benefit from the virtual book club. You can just join us.
1: Oh, great. That's that's good to know. Um, now, your other website, too, is Generations with a J and uh, GenerationsHealth.com. Uh, and then you can always reach uh, Jennifer by just emailing her at Jen, G-E-N, at GenerationsHealth.com as well. So thank you, again, so much for being with us. and. To all our listeners, don't forget about checking out the Memory Cafe directory. Just go to MemoryCafeDirectory.com if you're looking for a support group there. you'll We've got over 600 of them now in the U.S. It's just incredible how many are there. And you can always, again, go to AlzheimerSpeaks.com to find out more information and um, all of our Shows are archived so you can listen to them anytime. Thank you so much. And we will see you soon, Jennifer. Thank you. Bye-bye. Hi, everyone. This is Meredith from the Senior Fitness with Meredith podcast, where I discuss all things for seniors. From fitness, your health and wellness journeys, how to be all over strong and beyond. I also have my mini podcast called Motivation with Meredith. It's a great, quick, motivational pick-me-up for your days. Join me, listen now, search for Senior Fitness with Meredith on your favorite podcast platform.